You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. Tonight, we're concluding our Summer of 86 retrospective series with David Cronenberg's remake of The Fly. Help me! I'm going to squish you with a rock now. Our dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. The middle children of history, man. No purpose, no place. No great war. No great depression. They're coming to get you, Barbara. We're on a mission from God. I'll buy that for a dollar. Welcome to the party, pal. What's the smile on my face? All right, sweethearts, you heard the man. Pull him out. Come on, let's have him. I will show you where I have made my home. While preparing to bring justice, then I will break you. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. So that's Brian. All right. He's here with Jeremy. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian Elkins. With me tonight, Mr. Jeremy Benson. Thought I just went over that. Oh, my God. Look, dude, we got, you got, you got to stay consistent. You know, you got to be welcoming. Hello, welcome into our world. You know, I've always wondered why you don't welcome them at the beginning when you say, you're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. I'm not going to welcome you yet. I've got to prime you a little bit and then welcome you. They're not welcome unless they at least give you the four seconds. Well, no. When you go into somebody's house, right, you see the front of their house, right? You know where you're going, and then you step in. That's when you see that welcome mat, right? So they're just seeing the outside of the house. Now now you're deeper in. Right now we're going through the well, I figured uh, it would front. be the front of the house is when they're looking at the list of podcasts, and then when they go in is when they've clicked on it. So once they're listening, they're inside, and then you go, welcome, you're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. I don't know. I don't know what people do. I don't know how people find the show. Who knows? But we are talking David Cronenberg's The Fly, though. 1986. We've never talked Cronenberg before, man. What do you think of Cronenberg as a director? You a fan? Yeah, somewhat. Somewhat? Really? This is probably my second favorite horror director. Yeah, yeah uh, sometimes actually beating John Carpenter. I think oh, his That's body- a big statement for you. Yeah, I think his body of work overall is... Uh, man, it's awesome. Like, uh, movie for movie... I think he's consistently better than any other hard director. Yeah, I just haven't seen all of his movies. Oh, really? Have you seen Videodrome? Long time ago, but I don't remember. Like, I remember parts of it while I'm watching it. But if you ask me now to, like, spit out a bunch of stuff, I don't remember. But I, if we sat down and watched it, I would start telling you about, I remember watching this and then this. and The Dead Zone? One of my all-time favorites. That's, that's a good one, man. That's a classic. I cannot get game. my kids to watch it, though. Uh, yeah, you need to be a little bit older, you know, to just get into the finesse of that, you know. Like, the beginning's good. Like, I always liked the beginning as a kid because you have the serial killer part, and then it goes into the ice is going to break. But I never cared about the political and the romance part of the story because, you know, like, nine. There's other finesse-type movies that they get right into, but you know, it is one of my all-time favorite King adaptations. Not to mention that it is one of my all-time favorite King books, so... 
Oh, and really? And he really was kind of close to the book, so... Like, he didn't change a lot. It wasn't like one of those Stephen King adaptations where it's, hey, this is based on the novel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, we took the characters' names and the title. I mean, there's some there's some definite differences. Like, it's a very well-adapted screenplay. I mean, of course, it doesn't have everything that's in the novel. It doesn't have, like, the lightning storm and... Yeah, I don't know if I've read that. I don't think I have. Actually, now that you're describing it right now, I'm like... But I enjoy the movie, though. Movie's great. Oh, movie's really good. Yeah? Yeah. Book opens up with um, Johnny at age nine falling and hitting the head on on the ice. And then Greg Stilson, the political guy, the politician, kicking a dog to death. Okay. One of one of my favorite things that, that we, we talk about on these older movies we do. Yeah. Can you remember the first time you saw The Fly? Uh, No, I actually can't remember the first time I saw this film. Really? Yeah, sometime when I was like uh, twelve, it was a it was a VHS rental, but it was a, a film that the more I watched, the uh, the more and more I grew to love it. I, like I did not really hundred percent fall in love with this movie until you know seventeen or eighteen, and by that I was I started getting to obsessed with like the nuances and Jeff Goldblum's character ticks throughout the entire movie. Yeah, his performance under that makeup, I, I mean, I loved watching that as a kid. Yeah, see, well, for, as a teenager, as for me, like we've discussed, like in the old days, we used to have like movie nights because when you wanted to rent a movie, you, you could get it for a day or two. And sometimes you had to be on a list. So when the movie was actually available, everybody would come home and watch it. And hell, we had to rent the VCR to go with the movie. So it was like we would get, you know, get the pizza and the popcorn and everybody gather up in the living room for movie night. My brother would always rent the same movie. Always. The Dirt Bike Kid. The Dirt Bike Kitten? Kid. Oh, I never even heard of that. Dirt Bike Kid. I bet I saw that movie with him 200 times. My dad chose Cronenberg's The Fly. And that was going to be our movie night. And I remember sitting in the den. I can remember it vividly with the wood panel walls and sitting and watching it on the little square TV and loving it. I remember my dad telling me all about, like, that's how flies eat is they vomit on it and it melts it and they can eat it up. In preparation for this, because we do movie nights at our house instead of like watching movies just constantly and let them watch whatever they want. We we have movie nights to make movies special, so we had a fly movie night. You'd be like, yes, we had a fly movie. This is a gory, disgusting, sex-filled film, dude. And they loved it. <laughs> I mean, that that is one thing. This was a, a, a huge, uh, huge turnoff especially when it came out uh it was very controversial for its gore its special effects and man the amount of sex it had i only remember one just sex scene with him and gina davis oh there's like a bunch of sex scenes with him and gina davis there's one where he's like having sex with her on the couch and then they're in the bed twice but it's it's a continuation like no those are separate scenes Oh no! Then there's... he goes and picks the chick up at the bar, and you can assume what just happened because he crawls up on her, starts kissing her neck, and then it cuts to dude. Whatever, man. Did you see that? Benson's like, it's not a porno. You don't actually it's not like. You don't see softcore porn going on. <laughs> no, but I mean, like you know, from 1986, this was this raunchy stuff, man. When it came out back in its day, the melting effects and just him turning into the fly, and you know, it's Cronenberg's mo. He's known for body horror. That's that's his thing, and this is one of those films that helped kind of solidify that because this is really his only big box office hit. This was his big, 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 big hit up until you know 
history of violence and Eastern promises later. It, you know, this this movie, it's just speaking of its, uh, its financing and stuff, it comes, comes from weird, weird places. Mel Brooks, <laughs> the Mel Brooks. I actually had to look that up because as a kid, I was like, is that the guy that did Spaceballs? Can't be the same guy. Why the fuck did you choose this dark-ass, depressing movie? <laughs> but you gotta, uh, you gotta expand your horizons. Oh, I knew he was. He didn't really want to be associated with it, you know. Which I can understand. You know, Mel Brooks brings you the fly. You would think it's, you know, gonna go see a comedy, right? You're gonna go see Young Frankenstein, but the fly version. You know, somebody going, "Help me! Help me!" <laughs> Uh, and this is a remake. I, I, have you seen the original Vincent Price film? Who hasn't? Yeah, that's that's kind of a you know a classic. I don't and know if it is now for today's kids. I remember. Well, this would be a classic for today's kids. Yeah, but yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but I, I do remember like because I had seen the original before I saw this one, and you know the differences between the two were kind of mind blowing at the time. Like I I was young enough to not really understand the concept of. A remake that you can kind of do what you want to with this material. So I, I was going into it expecting sort of a shot-for-shot shot new version of it. And then it wasn't. I was kind of blown away with. Yeah, they do a good job of of just, man, just adding different things to the story element. Like keeping that base idea of these are telepods, guy and a fly, they get switched up. Right. But man, that progression of just making it gradual as opposed to like... Because if you think about it, the 51 is kind of stupid. Remove your head and put a fly head on your body. I'm pretty sure your human heart is not going to uh, pump blood. <laughs> you know, when you start thinking about it, it's just like, that didn't make any sense. But gradually turning and how this movie explains it, it makes it into a disease. It makes it more, you know, it makes it more current, modern, and uh, just scarier. So you're saying this version's better. Uh, this is, yeah, I think this is my favorite version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although the original one of Vincent Price is uh, closer to the uh, the original short story, which I have not read in forever. I've never read it. But, uh, you know, we did talk a little bit about Cronenberg. Now, Cronenberg, he got a million dollars to do this film in 1986. That's a big deal for a hard director. I mean, this budget, according to Wiki, was $9 million, 15 according to IMDb. So he either got paid a ninth or a 15th of the budget. That's crazy. That's what you call negotiating the fuck out of your contract. Well, yeah, I think he said like he wanted like seven hundred and fifty, and they were just like, "Okay, we'll give you a million. Come in and do it now." Why would you argue with that? Yeah, I know, right? But I mean, still, that's that's insane. This guy was bringing it, and he, you know, he had a two year. Uh, I think the last movie what he did was the Dead Zone before this one, so there was like, a two year gap there, and coming in, bringing in all these makeup people, and really trusting this film with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. But at the time, where who the you know nobody knew who they were. Well, I, I guess people knew Goldblum. He had he's done things prior to this. Uh, what had he done prior? To oh yeah, I know he was in uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the '78 remake. Yeah. That. Uh, oh God, the but guy it, did the right he, stuff. Had he done any leading? Not that I know of. I, mean, I think he was in the right stuff too. Who was that fucking filmmaker? Uh, Philip uh, Philip Kaufman. Anyway, uh, yeah, he hadn't done much. I think he did Silverado before this. Starring roles? I think this was actually his very first. But to lead a serious dramatic movie like that, to have Fox, which was pumping a lot of money into this for a horror movie in the 80s. Horror sci-fi at that. Yeah. When, what the decision was, we're going to do The Fly and we're going to do it upright. 
I can't remember, exactly remember, but 20th Century Fox was at a moment where they were without scripts for a little bit, and they just needed something. And Mel Brooks and them, they had something, so they just greenlit it. The original director they let go to because there was another director, but yeah, I think his son or his daughter, close family, passed away. Mm-hmm. Had to go deal with that, and he just didn't want to come back. Which I mean, granted, I mean I wouldn't want to come back and after losing somebody and make this fucking movie, right? Yay, cheery! Woo! <laughs> Happy to be alive, guys. Happy to be alive. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, like watching it, it was just. You know, it's basically an effects roller coaster. Ooh, I want to see the throwing up on the, and I want to see the hand melt. And I want to, watching it as an adult, I was really fascinated at how they took the the protagonist at the beginning of the film, and then you transfer him into the antagonist at the end of the movie. I thought that was very interesting. I mean, even the uh, the douchebag guy. Um, does uh, a swap. Yeah, Stathis, he does a. He starts off as the, the douchebag, and then he. Kind of becomes the hero, the douchey hero. Yeah, yeah he's still kind of a douche. <laughs> he's still kind of a douche. <laughs> yeah, you're saving the day, but and you just feel you feel really bad for Gina Davis. Like <sighs> she, she fell for this yeah. guy quick and hard, and he turns into a mutated insect and tries to bond with her. It's insect politics. Yep. But what about Jeff Goldblum, man? Like that insect politics scene. Where where he's explaining to her that, have you ever heard of insect politics? And she's like, oh, no. And he's explaining, basically, leave now or I'm going to hurt you. Like He's killing that scene wearing probably 6,000 pounds of makeup. Yeah, he's got a lot of rubber on him. The way his eyes move and the way he jerks his head. The way he's constantly licking at his lips. Yeah. He's got his back crunched over. The way he moves his arms is just talk about nailing it's a good performance. It. it really is. It's it's great. It's one of those where like you know him and I think uh, Ron Perlman's known for acting with makeup, and so is Doug Jones. This is a, this is one of those great makeup performances where makeup and actor coexisting, doing greatness. And this one Academy Award for its makeup. Uh, Chris Wallace went on to direct the second movie. Well, yeah, you I too. Just- I don't know. Maybe it's it's something you miss a little bit now when you're when you're seeing CG characters, but seeing someone actually play with the makeup and incorporate the makeup into their performance, as opposed to that's just what this thing looks like. It was just a nice little touch that makes it a little bit more special to me. Yeah, and I, I liked how they they didn't make him look just all fly, and he had a, like a hybrid. He's Brundlefly. <laughs> Brundlefly's badass, man. You know, it's like a it's a good concept altogether. And now, isn't this the same um, special effects team from Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, yeah, they did the uh, uh, face melting, and I'm sure they did some other things, but these obviously guys, they did the face melting in Raiders of the Lost Ark. These guys come in and melt things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they they did all the effects in this movie. Their their whole team did. Um, I mean, but the effects are good. It's the fly stuff's good too, but. I, well, we're gonna have to get into it in a minute, but like when that, that wrestler gets his hand broken and the bone cut pops out, oh yeah, that, that's good. That's good makeup effect right there. It's good. It's realistic. Yeah, it, it gets me, man. Have you ever YouTubed arm wrestling breaks? Oh no, no, I don't want to watch it. For don't because yeah, no. <laughs> that's what it looks like. <laughs> oh, the worst one is this chick's arm wrestling, and you can just tell she's in the wrong angle, and her elbow just comes out of joint, and it just oh. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I can't. I can't watch that stuff, man. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. 
We don't go into to director photography so so much, but the we DP should. for this film, Mark Irwin, is a guy that did Scream. Same DP. I like the way Scream looks. I love the way his night looks in that movie. Very different from this film. Very, very different. It had a little bit of a different lighting budget. Yeah. I, well, I mean, okay. That, I guess that's not fair. That's true. Like, Scream had a lot more, like, locations. And, you know, like, Scream, they just blast HMIs out in those fields just to light them up. Right. You know, where this one, like, especially the end with all the dry ice and the sparks and the warehouse that Seth's in, the lighting from overhead. Yeah. Contrasting the light inside his apartment. Mm-hmm. It looks spectacular, but they are also like you light it once, you put it on a board, and then you just you know I mean, you got to move things. I'm not saying that. I'm not. I'm not saying you don't have to do that, but it is easier doing one location for a majority of your film than it is something like Scream, where you have how many locations they have in that movie, man? Like, well, like three or four. <laughs> There's a lot of locations of that, like all of the high school. Five. <laughs> you know. I, you know what? We, I should feel like I should know that. I feel like we should know how many locations were in Scream. I feel like we're bad Scream fans right now. I don't think anybody but the people that worked on Scream could just announce off the top of their head how many locations it was. See, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if I know every scene in Scream anymore. I used to. Just... All right. Well, let's see. <laughs> it's Drew Barrymore's house. Oh, I love that movie. Anyway, but yeah, the same DP did Scream, did this film. So that's always awesome. He did great work. Gotta love that. Uh, Howard Shore did the music, which is incredible. Score is really good for this. It is, man. And they went really big. Yeah, yeah. They didn't hold anything back at all. It does build to its bombasticness to where it gets to the end. It's just like, boom, boom. It's just full out coming at you. Like, Well, it also gives that, like, you're seeing, you know, this very in-your-face graphic sci-fi horror movie. But it gives it that kind of classic sci-fi Hollywood feel. I don't know. To me, that kind of makes it a little bit more fun and less realistic. Makes it makes it more theatrical. I mean, especially with you looking at like right. the makeup and I don't know. It's like it's on a set and this is makeup. But and- see, it's like the music. I don't know. Like choosing that music and that big big score. Like it could have been made twenty years before it was made, but they didn't know how to do all that shit. <laughs> Actually, Howard Shore and approached David Cronenberg about making this into an opera, and it, they did a fly opera. Really? Yeah. Uh, they <laughs> see. I like I like those big theatrical feels on smaller movies. Like, it's I a- mean, there's there's times too. Don't don't get me wrong that you know a movie is served perfectly by an atmospheric score that really doesn't ever hit that classic Hollywood orchestral moments. But yeah, yeah, sure. For this one, I agree with that. I, th- I think it really works, and and you know, we'd, if if it had been made with just a more atmospheric, sound-driven score, we would probably be going, "Man, I'm so glad he didn't." <laughs> it's so dark, and it doesn't feel like it feels re- gritty. But I'm glad it doesn't feel like you know gritty. It feels more Hollywood-esque. I think you put it well. It works with everything he's got going on. Like, yeah, you know. I think I, I like that it feels like a classic sci-fi movie. All right, man. Well, you know what? Let's uh, let's take a break, play the trailer, and when we come back, uh, we're going to spoil the hell out of The Fly. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit 
even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. weird hairs that were growing out of your back I, I had them analyzed but they were definitely not human if you saw how scared and angry and desperate he is I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very nice person too when you saw her socially no you're afraid to be destroyed and recreated aren't you you're changing Seth everything about you is changing oh no what's happening to me am I dying I want to know what's going on what does the disease want? It wants to turn me into something else. Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. It could be contagious. Oh, I'm afraid! Don't be afraid! No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. All right, we're back. We're talking the fly. Vincent, what do you think of the opening sequence here, man? Little little fly vision? I don't know. It's like kind of like it's kind of like predator vision, isn't it? <laughs> you know, the predators actually scoping out this uh, scientific luncheon or like a banquet or whatever, whatever, whatever the hell it is. Show They're having hors d'oeuvres and wine. I do like that they get right into it. Hey, nice to meet you. Come back and look at this invention I made. I made a teleporter. <laughs> yeah, it, it's picking up with uh, you know who who cares what this guy was doing. Let's have Ronnie and Seth get together. Let's let's go from here. Let's not waste time. Yeah, they wasted no screen time. I do, I do like right away. You get Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum. Can an invention? It's going to change the world as we know it. Doing his Jeff Goldblum uh, pauses and those hand motions that he does, where he's like uh, just going home. You know why he's inventing it? He gets motion sickness in the car, right? You know the good tight script here. I did watching it recently with the kids. I did stop and think like. He should have gone ahead and released this just for like transportation of goods alone. He'd have been a billionaire. You know, he would have definitely put FedEx and the United States Postal Service out of business. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here you go. Oh, you want that? Okay, we will teleport that physical copy over to you right now. Once everybody had teleporters, you wouldn't need that crap anymore. Because, you know, who knew email was coming? I guess that's true. <laughs> it was actually, I'm talking about like shipping goods, and I guess at that time they actually would be shipping letters. Well, you said United States Post Office. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking like, you know, when they come in, they bring you, you know, like your, your new blender or something. But well, they would be, yeah, they would was, be sending was, mail then. This was before online ordering of stuff. Oh, yeah, man. At least 10 years before that. If not, I mean, I don't remember. But now a manufacturer could be like, okay, and I have. 200 blenders that need to go to Walmart, they're here. <laughs> oh, that'd be great, dude. You'd never see 18-wheeler trucks on the road again. Yeah, I feel, feel bad for all the jobs that would be lost. Those guys can now build telepods. No, I've got I got family that are truck drivers, and trust me, they ain't going to build no telepod. Man, they could do it. You just get some instructions, get to get your soldering the thing over here. You know, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm sure it'll work. Well, since we're talking about the teleporter, let's let's talk about how this teleporter works. This is actually a pretty cool. They, they break it down. It's a uh, what's it called? A disintegrator reintegrator. I think is what it says. I think that's what Something they say in like the first that. one. 
And they, they throw a line in this one about that. I um, like that the screen kind of explains what's going on. Well, yeah, you need the computer screen with information. Uh, Jeff Goldblum says it, and then you need the computer to confirm it. <laughs> right. And I love that Like when he figures it out, he just sits down and starts typing some stuff. Dude, it's super advanced. He just can, he can talk to it. Hey, computer. Seth Brundle. It, it took like uh, that computer like 20 minutes to fucking analyze his voice. I was like, oh my god, my iPhone could have done that. Like, <laughs> it would have been done already. Come on, what's going on here? It's this teleporter, the pods, I like how they look. They have a nice, like, yeah, they already look like death traps. <laughs> kind of. Just the way they're designed with the very... Sort of insect egg looking. Yeah, it kind of looks like H.R. Giger's, like techno version yeah. of an egg. Those are the telepods. He sends a stocking in. Ronnie Stocky, played by Gina Davis. Which is a nice little... Okay, I'll flirt with you. He gets flustered. She doesn't know what to think, because he really did invent a machine that changed the world, that would change the world. If he had stopped at just shipping stockings, he would have been fine. But she wants to write a story on it. Part of the movie where I'm always like, yeah, dude, why did you do that? I would never have told you this if I knew you were going to write about it. And she's like, well, dude, I'm a journalist. Hello. It's like, but yeah, I thought it was personal. Maybe he's just a little naive about the world and doesn't understand that you can't trust journalists. Yeah, well, you do kind of get that feeling he doesn't get out a lot. He only has five sets of the exact same clothes, so he never <laughs> has to worry about what to wear. His Einstein uh, clothing idea, yeah. So he, which is not a bad idea. Hey, and, you know, free, free yourself up for uh, thinking about other stuff. Go for it. Yeah, I support that. I could get, you know, like five T-shirts and be like, yep. Okay, so he invites Ronnie back to his, his flat, his little experimental place. His warehouse. Does he own that whole warehouse? I think he's renting it. Is that the whole warehouse that he's in? I think so. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. I was like, man, whatever this company he's working for puts, puts, in a, puts him in a good little spot there. Doesn't look like it's in the best part of town, but... No, yeah, but, but kind of run down. <laughs> Industrial area. And he doesn't he doesn't spend a lot. He doesn't build the parts. He just orders parts and has them made, and then they send it to him, and he puts it together. Which I like. That's a nice realistic touch. Yeah. Uh, he convinces her to do a documentary-type story on him and his invention, which she does. And then we get one of my favorite scenes in the movie, when they try to send the monkey through. The baboon, man. Yeah, the baboon. Which, you know, that seemed a little like they were jumping the gun. They just went from like, I don't know if this organic material works. Oh, no, wait. He says it doesn't work. And he just tests the baboon just so he can show Ronnie. No, I think some time had passed and like he had he had tried some stuff. I didn't see that, man. I saw them eating <laughs> eating cheeseburgers and then it goes to baboon. Well, I, I get the feeling like because she's now recording, so... You know, a couple weeks may have passed, and now he's going to... I just want to know where he keeps getting the baboons. And there's a baboon cat deleted scene. Oh, I have not seen that. Yeah. Well, it, they cut it out for a reason. The, the, uh, the effects are... Um, 1986, picture a baboon and a cat together. It's that awesome. Well, I'm glad. I do like that when he tries to send the baboon through. And it gets inside out. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't know how to put it back together. But then somehow... <laughs> Inside out. So gross. Eating steak is an epiphany. Why didn't he not try the steak first? That's what I'm saying, though. Like, why would you go for baboon to steak? It was an epiphany. She said steak, and he went, oh, it's the flesh. It's the... No, she did not say steak. She was talking about pinching baby's cheeks. And then he was like, oh, steak. And he cuts the steak in half and sends half of it through, and then the other half doesn't taste right. And he's like, I know how to fix it. 
Yeah, it ends up coming through synthetic tasting is uh, what she says. And that's that's where they start building on this whole idea of the flesh and learning about the flesh. But he did get it to Huge come theme. through looking the same. Ah, I don't think it looks the same because if you see him cook it in that pan, they did a really good job of making that one look different. It looks like it's... But it's in the same shape. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's, he cut it. It's not it. inside out. Like that's all it is is a piece of fat. Which I'm pretty sure that's what they actually... Nah, to me it just looks the same when he's cooking it. You can tell, even when he's cooking it, like, this this is real steak, that's the synthetic one. The only thing I saw different was one of them is thinner. <laughs> I thought the point was that it looks the same, but it was still lacking that whatever element he was thinking in his brain that this experiment was going to prove. I don't know, the baboon didn't look the same, though. No, it didn't. Yeah. But this is later. He's figured something out, and the steak is the key. Oh no, he doesn't. He doesn't change anything until after Ronnie tastes the steak, and then that's when he goes back to work. That's when he goes in. He's like, I got to go teach the machine about the flesh. The big point is like Gina Davis is getting through to him about the pinching, pinching the cheeks is what you know. That's the through line. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not 100% sure, like, all his metaphors, what he's going through. Like, he does bring up the plasma pool, um, rebirth, and there's a lot of, you know, regeneration imagery that later throughout the movie takes a horrifying turn. And once he goes through the pod with the fly, it does rejuvenate him. It's not a bad thing. At first. Yeah. Like, he comes out, and he's able to lift himself up, do some gymnastics. Face starts showing some... uh wear and tear pretty early on yeah he starts he starts getting acne you know he starts eating chocolate bars it happens he has a lot of energy his metabolism is kicking it him and ronnie's relationship goes further i guess we didn't mention um the stathis character uh played by john Gitts, the ex-boyfriend the jealous ex-lover yeah we mentioned in the fact that like he starts out as sort of this douche that really just wants to keep sleeping with ronnie but he's the one that kind of gives her the assignment well, at first he shit cans our idea. Yeah. And then he finds out that they're together, so he's going to publish the story without her. Just to piss her off because... Because he's a douche. Yeah, and they're no longer together. He finds out that she's banging Seth. <sighs> Man, he is a dick. <laughs> he is a dude. I mean, a dick. I like that scene where he, he slips the note to her, and it's the magazine article for Particle, the magazine they work at. Right. It's got Seth's face all over it. So she's got to go deal with that. He gets drunk, goes, turns into a fly. If she had just been honest to him, well, it just told him, like, look, this guy's going to steal my story. I need to go talk to him. This is nothing. Don't worry. But now nah, she had to keep it a secret and leave dude hanging. He gets drunk and he's going to. He's gonna do it alone. Oh, see, I th I thought this was kind of more on Seth though for overreacting because oh, he's it not. Is. He he's not used, but he's not. You know, he's not a people person. Yeah, it's kind of his fault because she does tell him like she's got to wipe off some scum from another life. But he's not a people person, and no, I'm with he's you. He, he's not used to these social situations, and his one his one person is now. Going off to the old boyfriend. Shouldn't have fucking ordered that champagne, guys. Don't drink and teleport. You just got it. You got to think when you're dating a socially awkward person. Like, okay, I need to tell this person that, like, I'm just going over to handle some business and make sure they know exactly. Do you want to come set in the car so you know I'm not banging him? And then he would have never been Brendel Fly. Although she is honest, though, so you can't 
It's you, I don't you, I don't I don't blame her. You I'm can't just, fault anybody. I'm just here. saying that if yeah, you see a good. I am glad that they make a him good balance. Drunk. Oh yeah, because like there's no way he would have gone in and not checked to make sure it's clean. He's that meticulous. But, I agree. But being drunk, then because yeah, you know, I don't feel like he drinks that much, right? You know, so it's like that ex. You know, you're doing something in a complete inebriated state, and you're not. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. But I, I like the scene with her when she goes to Stathis, and you almost get this moment into his character where he's like, you know what? Maybe you're not such a douchebag. I, I, I don't want to lose you. I yeah. miss you in my life. Let's be let's be professional confidants. It's cool. It's cool. And then right as she leaves, she's like, hey. Let's get it on sometimes. What do you what do you think about just regular fucking gosh. I bet dude would send dick pics. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, Stathis oh dude, he he would be sending dick pics all day. Ding. Dude, seriously. Speaking of this movie, there is a dick pic in it. Is there? Well, a dick shot. It's not attached to any human anymore. We'll get to that. Well, no, you know, we can we can just kind of fast forward to that because he Jeff Goldblum, his relationship with Gina Davis, that starts to deteriorate. As he becomes more and more flighty. You have the scene where he goes out. And, well, he wants her to be more energetic with him. and Yeah, he wants her to go through the pod. He wants her to go through the pod and feel what he feels. And be reborn. She says no. Leaves her and he goes out to a bar and picks up a lovely lady at a bar. I'm not no hoa. Or whatever her line is. And uh, Jeff Goldblum's resp- the look is priceless when she says that. Jeff Goldblum's like, uh-huh. I don't think he cares. <laughs> He's like, I will, I'll kill everybody and just take you, honey. <laughs> you don't understand. You're coming with me. And that's when we get the great arm wrestle scene. Because, you know, when you have to you have to fight over a woman in the 80s. It's going to be an arm wrestling. Yeah. It? I mean, you either get into a fighter pilot and go fly around and impress her, or you arm wrestle, right? Could you imagine, like, actually <laughs> walking into a bar... And there's just there's a girl here, right? And you just walk up to a dude and you're like, all right. We're going to arm wrestle, and the winner gets to take her home. And she's like, don't I get a choice in this? Like, no, shut up. <laughs> You're the bar witch. <laughs> yeah, I can picture that in, like, medieval times, like, in a joust or I'm something. Like, we should try it. Like, just go pick a random bar. <laughs> it's the 80s. What are you going to do? O- Over the Top uh, came out a year after this. So, you know, arm wrestling was big. I don't know why. Why was it big? Was there, like, something going on in the 80s with arm wrestling? You know, I always assumed that, and now that I know how movies are made, I know this is not the case, but I always assumed that the arm wrestling scene from The Fly inspired the entire movie over the top. Arm wrestling scene's good. But he, he starts to progress. The, the Fly DNA is, is taking over. And he does take that chick home. He does. And they have, um... Chair sex. Freaking, he's got fly hairs on his back now. His face is all dirty looking. Ah, oh, yeah, and his his nose looks like it's even like protruded more. Like they put some kind of false nose on him. And he's sweating and He does look kind of gross. And when Gina Davis comes in, you're like, Oh I can't believe I just slept with him. Oh, honey, come on. And then she just leaves without putting her pants on. Uh, and that denim jacket with her boobs all hanging out. Uh, we also get the uh the tagline is spoken in this scene of the film. Be afraid. Be very afraid. That's from this movie. It's a pretty big tagline. It's kind of up there with, uh, it's not there, but it, it's up there with, uh, you know, in space no one can hear you scream in terms of sci-fi taglines. Yeah, it's a good tagline. It is. It's one of those, a lot of people, I think, no longer associate it with this movie, though. Yeah, because she starts really getting worried about him, but he's too blinded by his new 
metabolism and his power. But then he starts noticing that, you know, hey, there is something wrong. Like, my fingernails are coming off. That's Aww. not normal. I mean, we start going into the natural, uh, what is it, the um, the National Historical Museum of Brundlefly or something like that? or <laughs> I forget what it is, what his well, medicine well, cabinet gets called. Things start falling off. Oh, God. And he invites her to come back and sort of document his death or whatever he's going to turn into. So she, there's a video camera there, and he shows her how he eats. And basically how he eats is he has to vomit on it because he doesn't have many teeth left and turns it into a goo, and then he sucks that up. Yeah, he just starts uh, deteriorating. His ear falls off while he's talking to her. Oh, yeah. And then she hugs him right after that, too, Yeah, that man. was one of the things, like, watching the movie, I was like, no way. Like, no matter how much she loved this guy, she is not going to hug that. I don't know. That That is the one, that's one moment in the movie where you just feel so sorry for him, man. Because at that point, he he does, he looks like a, like he's dying of cancer. Or like AIDS, or whatever terminal illness uh, I think of the self, 80s. self-protection would sort of step in at that point and go, nope, <laughs> not hugging him. Yeah, there is a point in the movie where they don't know if it's contagious or not. Right. They do bring that up. And there's a moment where he's like, the disease has revealed its purpose. I, it wants to change me into something. These are all interesting ideas that Cronenberg you know, See, brings for, in. And de- like, for me, I would be like, develops. fuck you. You don't know that. I'm not coming near you. <laughs> right away in here by yourself if you want to. If I were you, I would seek medical attention. Here, let me hug you. I'm going to put my head on the side that your ear just fell off on. <laughs> So he starts keeping body parts. Yeah. Keeps his fingernails. In the medicine cabinet. At one point when he opens it, there is his uh, penis. It's his manhood. Dude, how how bad would that... Like, you just go to the bathroom and your penis just fall Fall off. Fall off in the toilet. (laughs) Oh, my God. You got to reach in and grab it so you can put it in your little museum. Starts off, I'm superhero. I'm loving this. I'm plasma pooling this. Oh, I'm getting sick. Oh, feel sorry for me. To where... Once he knows what he, it is, where he thinks he's going to get turned into a fly, it starts becoming a science project for him. Right. And I've always kind of wondered, I don't know if they meant this or not, but like the fly DNA is taking over his thoughts. It's making him think different things. That's what the whole insect politics speech is about. Yeah. But part of it has to be, like part of his insanity has to come from being at that house alone. He has to be going a little loopy. At that point, he really wants to try to figure out a way to cure himself. Right. Because if, like, if you're going to die and you get to a point where you're so transformed, I'm like, what would you do? What would you do to save your life? So what he comes up with is if he can get – well, he asked the computer if he can go back through and be re-separated from the fly. And the computer says no. Yeah, But that happen. it may be able, if he can get another human to go through with him, to, to combine the two – and he would then be more human than fly. Which is really insane. So he's going to have to sacrifice somebody. And he finds out that Gina Davis is pregnant. Oh my gosh, which is horrifying. So he comes up with the idea that, well, fuck it. I'll join with her and my unborn child. And we'll be like this family in one body thing. Be some giant... Uh... Now, I, wonder, I wonder if the computer actually Ugh. could put that all together. Would they keep the separate consciences? Consciences? I, can't I don't talk know. Tonight. Apologize to our listeners, but I am having a hard time talk tonight. 
Hard time talking that you just said that like a caveman. <laughs> I, I know it's like I've slipped back into um, <laughs> caveman speak. Oh, Benson, you're all good. Just don't start grunting on me, dude. Hard time talk night. <laughs> In my defense, I was I was hit by a car <laughs> before I got here. Yeah, and it was it was raining. Uh, yeah, that that that's your that's your second one too. So it's been a strange week of car accidents. Yeah, dude, you've not had a, a lucky week here. Baby steps, really, really small baby steps. So, what's your opinion of the scene? She's at the abortion place. She's gonna get rid of this baby because she's had the nightmare that she could wake, she could, you know, give birth to a maggot. Oh, now that scene brilliant! Is great. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. He jumps through that glass window. Oh, that's cool too. I, I just like how determined after she is after the nightmare to get that baby out of her body. Like, I mean, you can't really blame her. Yeah, well, she she goes and sees him, and I think that's when they have that insect politics scenes where he's like, I'm going to kill well, you. Well, she's going to tell him. She goes to tell him. Yeah, and she can't. And then when she, she goes out, get it out of her mouth. Stathis yeah. is out there. And Weird he, name. He overhears them talking like, "Have you? did you tell him? I couldn't tell him. I want an abortion. He's like, no, ma'am. He's like, right now. No, we're getting this out right now. I I, I, just, I thought all that was good. Like, adding the abortion element into it, modernizing it, and, you know, in the 80s, that's, that was an extreme. I mean, it's still a hot-button issue now, but in then, more so, like, it was a controversy. We'll just leave it at that. It was a Button controversy. to push? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, bringing that into their screenplay, adding that element for the woman. I mean, it's nice to have a female character that does more than cries, because at the end of the movie, that's... That's kind of what she's going to do is just going to stand there and cry. And you know what I mean? She right. doesn't really get that moment. And this gives her character something to do, something to stand up for. And I enjoy that in the movie. I'm glad that they give her that moment because at the end, her moment is not to stand up for herself and fight for this anymore. Her, her moments kind of later at the end is the, that very sympathetic human moment. Well, he grabs her. We're at the park. He grabs her. Yeah. He takes her back. He's planning to merge them. And he is going to force her to go through this with him. Stathis shows up with a shotgun and a briefcase. Why does he show it up? Why? I, I hated that part of the movie where he, he comes in with the briefcase and then he starts building the gun there. I am, uh, <laughs> I've never understood this. None of my shotguns have ever been in a briefcase. That's because you don't buy cool-ass shotguns. Like, this. <laughs> like, I have never had to put my shotgun together to use it. Yeah, so yeah, I agree with you. Why did he why, put fucker together in the car? I know, right? It's like, you're going to go into the dangerous situation, then put your weapon together? I actually, I actually thought about that when I was watching the movie, and I was like, well, maybe there's some sort of like strict gun laws in this city, and he doesn't want to get caught with it. Ah, you know what? I wonder if there were. I wonder if that was like a thing, like you couldn't have a, a gun out in the city limits or something like that. And that, that makes sense. Things for other nerds to research that we're not going to do right now. Um, but, you know, I would think... If a cop came up and said, hey, buddy, what's with the shotgun? And you went, this dude's about to kill this chick. Come with me. You need to see this. Bring your pistols. Then you, you're you just going to get some backup. Oh, he gets he gets the jump on him, and he, that's when you get the cool Raiders dissolve stuff. Uh, hand and foot, man. Well, I love that they take it to that next step. Like, first he does his hand, and it melts his hand down to a nub. And then... As he's laying there, he grabs his leg and melts his leg off, his foot off. So now the dude doesn't have a foot, doesn't have a hand. He's kind of—he's about to throw up on his face and melt his face off when Gina saves him. You know, if you look at that that hand shot, I man, it's a it's a match shot because you know the 
the melting effect is sped up and if they if they didn't replace the background the back they'd have to keep the background like perfect throughout so they mm-hmm. you know they just record normal footage back there and they did it as a matte shot you know it doesn't look the best it's real grainy but the thing i do like is they only keep it on screen for like seconds at a time it's so quick man oh yeah that it man even now it just flows so well like the editing in this sequence and how the makeup is constructed when they're going to prosthetics and when they're going to Jeff Goldblum in the makeup. It just it makes all of this stuff work pretty pretty well, man. Like even puppet Jeff Goldblum, it looks pretty good because they they cut to it so quick. It quick well, yeah, out. It, I don't know. There's just something about when you're shooting with that you know makeup and real puppets, and you have to be a little creative with what you're shooting and how you cut it together. They and, do, a good and job. how you light it. We're gonna go back to the guy that shot Scream. Uh, yeah, yeah. You definitely, because man, you throw too much light on that, it just starts looking like rubber. And there's a couple, there's a couple of sections where, you know, you'll you'll look, and there's there's some elements that look a little rubbery, but man, for the most part, this looks incredible. Especially when he comes out after the very end. Oh, when he goes full fly, and he's been mixed with the transporter. Oh no, that now that's just oh god, that's disgusting as shit, dude. Cause that fly, the whole the fly when he goes full fly is gross looking anyway, and then when he gets mixed up with the pie. But yeah, when his face is ripping open and he's going full fly, that's cool. Uh, there's a couple of little rubbery moments, but for the most part, it looks really good. Yeah, I'm I was impressed. I mean, it deserves the Academy Award that it won. Aliens won best visual effects, so like matte shots and stuff like that. This won the uh, makeup awards, so this is actual you know prosthetics on there. So. Covering two movies here, big special effects films. Um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, man, I think this holds up really well. The DP and stuff. I mean, I like the dry ice coming out of those pods at the end. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Stathis takes the shotgun and blasts the pod that Gina Davis is in. And, the, man, the, the sparks that go off. And they're just continuous through the whole scene. Well, because you never know. How many, just think about the amount of power it takes to, you know, to do that. <laughs> I mean, all this stuff is good. I mean, like even when uh, he Seth is all full fly and he's full br- Brundle fly, the door goes to the teleporter, and the teleporter is just constantly just shooting out these. Hu- it looks like a, a sparkler on crack. <laughs> and this one shot looks like the world's biggest or a Roman candle, just like shooting out of the side where I guess a power cable was. It's like, man, those are nice touches that just give it that well, flare. Another and- little nice touch, script wise, for me was I like that. You know, they introduced the third pod early in the movie. Oh, yeah. And he lets you know that that one's a little iffy. You don't know what's going to come out. <laughs> but yet, he is willing to try it at this point. Well, I mean, it's either that or... Build another one. It'd be, uh, it'd be full fly, you know? it's You do understand, like, I mean, he he's the bad guy in this movie. Brundle flies the bad guy. Seth turns into the bad guy, like you said right. earlier. But you... You do feel sorry for him. I and mean, when he does come yeah, out of that pod. You never really question his motivation. <laughs> no, you don't. Like, you understand all of it. Oh, man, that would be terrible to live with something. I mean, like, people do live with stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the metaphor of disease is definitely being played up. Oh, yeah. And, you know, back in the 80s, AIDS was a big thing. Cancer was getting a lot of news. So, yeah, so those those themes are definitely there. But they're not fun to talk about. The makeup and the, the, the fly. and That's what makes this movie a little bit more special, though, for me. It's not just blood and gore. It's I care about 
these two characters and watching that love story devolve. Yeah. Just break apart in the oh, worst it is way. A, it, it is a very, very, very classic. At the end, instead of getting merged with her, he gets merged with the transporter door. So when he comes out at the end, he's fly and door. Which, honestly, oh. like, as a kid, I never noticed that. Like, that completely missed my attention. Oh, really? But I noticed it watching it recently with my kids. And I was like, that little oh. tube foot oh, He's got the, the round piece coming out of his back. And then he takes the shotgun barrel and puts it to his head, like, this little claw hand. end this. End this. And she has to blow him away. Dude, Gina Davis is fucking super selling this shit, too. Like, like her face is swollen, almost from crying so much at the end of the scene. And that music kicks in, and, man, it's, it's, it's powerful. And she blows him away. Yeah, it is David Cronenberg. I like that. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is so, this is so... <laughs> It's so sad. That's giving everybody something. <laughs> you know that that is uh, that's Cronenberg's uh, mo, right? You know? I still haven't rewatched Fly Two, but uh, yeah, it kind of it, it it picks up with the birth. Yeah, the sun. I remember it being about the sun, but I don't really remember anything after that. Yeah, the company that was sponsoring Jeff Goldblum's character in this movie ends up taking the sun. I think they kind of cover up the whole incident. Which they should. You know. Yeah, you know, you're an evil corporation. You know, you got to. And they're trying to make the telepo- uh, the telepods work, and they can't ever figure them out. And then the kid does figure them out. And I forget why he turns into a fly. Just because he turns into a fly. But there I is figure a... because he's, his dad was a fly. Yeah, but I forget. There's It, like, happens at a certain age. But you don't really know why. I think he's just like, oh, I'm old old now so i'm gonna turn into a fly it's not a very good sequel you know it's not bad it's not terrible it's not the worst thing ever made it's just not it's definitely not this movie um but john gets his back in it as uh stathis so that's cool he's got a little quick cameo any returning characters are always fun yeah that's nice and the the original ending of this film was supposed to be her dreaming again uh with stathis and her dream was that in her womb, there was a cocoon, and out popped this little baby with butterfly wings and flew away. It's it's on the Blu-ray. You can watch it. It is as bizarre as I am describing it. Yeah, Benson is like, what the hell are you talking about? Did they actually shoot it? Yeah, no, yeah, they actually shot it. Yeah, you can watch the... Pretty sure you can watch it online. We'll see. If I can find it on YouTube, I'll, I'll throw it in the show notes. Okay, uh, final thoughts. Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite Cronenberg film, but it's one of them. I like The Dead Zone, this, and Videodrome a whole lot, and The Brood. I'll have to throw The Brood in there, too. History of Violence. I don't know, man. There's so many good Cronenbergs. This is definitely up there. This is the only poster of a Cronenberg film I do have in my house. It's a good one, man. I, tagline, be afraid, be very afraid on it. Uh, it's great, great artwork. It's just a good movie, man. It's one of those films that, yeah, it's gory. It. It's, it's horrific. It'll get under your skin. It's a remake of The Fly. It's science fiction. They use this transformation for metaphors for other things. The love story. Watching that deteriorate. Watching our main character deteriorate. All of this is amazing. It's emotionally impactful. And it engages you. And for a movie that was made in 86, to still do that really says something. And the score is just... Man, I cannot say enough great things about Howard Shore's uh, score for this, man. Just, I think this is his best work, in my opinion. 
score wise. Like I can I listen to this quite quite frequently. Really? Yeah. I also like to use it as temp tracks when I'm cutting movies. I like just to throw in the fly as the uh, as the credit song, just because it's like, and this has got the best credit close ever. This bump, but it's just the way it starts. It's I don't know. It's it's really good. Um, David Cronenberg's just a really smart filmmaker, man. I love what he does. I love what he does with his characters and terrible shit he puts all of them through. Yeah, on one hand, you could you know you could look at this and say, oh, it's just a a gore fest science movie, science fiction movie. But eh, I think you'd be missing a lot because this has got a lot of layers, a lot of themes going on in lesser hands. It may have just been a gore, gore fest, but I always, always really appreciate, especially in the horror and science fiction genre, well, the horror, because science fiction a lot of time has it anyway, but in the horror genre when it's not just, hey, look, we're going to gross you out and look. We got some jump scares, but when there's an actual story and the the characters seem real and the characters have flaws that you 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 believe and you forgive and I don't know it's there's a there's a story to be told not just look we're gonna make a hand melt. I think man they got some great performances out of some really terrific actors like Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum's chemistry on screen. I mean they were dating at the time, so I'm sure that helped. But you believe it. And even John Yitz is good, man. It's the douchebag. Like, I'm just going to call him douchebag. Stathis, his character is great. <laughs> um, well, just the yeah. dynamics and then the the sympathy you feel for, for both characters. You know, as we were talking earlier, the thematic idea of, like, you know, someone going through a disease alone and how somebody, you know, wants to be there with them, but at the same time they have to move on because this person's going to die and the whole letting go and generational thing of you know i will live on inside of that baby and i think that's a reason it appeals to more people and it's not yeah, it's not just looked over and forgotten because oh well that's just a bunch of splatter shit on the screen they went after you know making a movie that that more people could like no i mean you're right this is one like if if i haven't seen it in about a year year and a half and i put it back in that end still has the emotional impact for me it's got that core. I just I love these characters, and it sucks so bad watching them destroy themselves like this. Well, I guess Seth destroyed. I mean, himself. it even goes back to what we were talking about with the a lesser filmmaker, a lesser screenwriter would have not started it the way he did. With just bam, we're at this thing. They meet. He invites her to come back. Their relationship, although they start falling in love and dating, and you know all this, but it spawns around his work and him inviting her into his life. You could have really kind of slowed this movie down by they meet and then eventually he shows her because they're dating or, you know, number of other like screenwriting 101 formula things. By jumping right in, it almost confuses you because it's just jumping right in, but it still plays all the beats that you need it to play to make you believe in the characters. Yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough. I think it was it was on Netflix. I don't know if it still is on Netflix, but it was. So go to a friend's house yeah. and see it. There's a DVD. I highly recommend the DVD. The DVD's got really nice film grain and a bunch of extra features. The DVD on it. or the Blu-ray? Uh, both actually. Um, they released both the D- DVD and Blu-ray have the same exact features on them. But yeah, the the Blu-ray is great too. Great picture quality from that. Nice film grain. Yeah, I was I nice was impressed grain. with how the uh, picture quality held up. If you like '80s horror movies, this should be one of your staples that's right and it's actually on the day we're recording this it's 30 years old exactly to this day 
Look at that. Really? Did you time that? No, no. We were actually supposed to record this <laughs> a while ago. But <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, you've been listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's the movie crew, crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E, at gmail.com. We are on Facebook and Twitter at Movie Crew Pod. Follow us on social media. Benson, where can they follow you, buddy? At J. Edward Benson on Twitter. Look at that. And if you haven't checked out our film, Girl in Woods, yet, please check it out. VOD everywhere. That's right. That's right. It's on, on iTunes, on Amazon. Even, even if you have watched it, you can watch it again. And tell your friends about it, too. And then that tell them to tell their friends. Oh, are you going to do, help me? Help me. Help me. Watch my movie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, guys. Um... I think that that covers everything. So like always, we're going to close out a little bit with the soundtrack. Man, I, I love this so much. So we're going to play uh, two tracks. We're going to do the main title by Mr. Howard Shore, and then we're going to follow that up with the finale. Enjoy. <laughs>